Zach Lowe tweeted this after the game, and I, I feel somewhat similarly that it seems like this is the game from the Warriors that we've seen a million times the last five years. More exciting when Kevin Durant isn't playing, probably. But they go down pretty big. The other team is on fire in the first half, and then they hit you with this incredible run of Steph and Clay threes and get an unlikely role player or two to contribute, play great defense down the end, and steal a game that it looked like they had no business winning there are some departures from uh, that narrative but this was a, in many ways a, a classic golden state warriors victory do you think the series is over now over in what sense because I, th- I think we know who's going to win this series but i have no confidence in how long it's going to last like i could i i my my instinct is still five but i could see this still going six i thought the blazers played significantly better and a lot of the gains that they made are repeatable to me even though they did end up losing this game or you know i guess a sweep is possible and we also know now that kem durant is not going to play in the next two games neither is demarcus cousins uh yeah i mean maybe even three it looks like he's yeah maybe even he's three. not supposed to be reevaluated for a week right so there, there's three more games in the next week so that, yeah because the, they're playing every other day right I, yeah so it, it very well could be it's a fair it's a fair estimation to say that neither one of those guys would be back before a game six which may or may not happen so I think, you know, so is the series over? You know, the Blazers... No, please listen to our next three episodes. The, Bla- the Blazers <laughs> are probably are not going to win the series, barring a, a subsequent injury to somebody new. Like, the, the, the stuff that we already know, I think that it would be very tough for them to win the series. They have to win four out of five games. But they played really well. And I thought, you know, get they figured a couple of things out, which we'll break, we'll break down over the course of this podcast. And barring the Warriors getting that talent upgrade at some point, I think a lot of those things will hold over. Well, 18 out of 39 three-point shooting probably will not hold over uh right and and who made a lot of those 18 as well well not a lot but a fair portion yeah. of it so i mean al farouk aminu hitting one i mean the early part of this game aminu and harkless i think in the first half those guys were three for five from three they finished the game three for five from three as well but you know that's that it's not found money but it's it's pretty significant myers leonard had some big plays as well but you know damon cj can play better than they did in the second half that's for sure yeah i would view the games in portland as 50 50 propositions maybe if the warriors win game three then game four is more in the warriors favor than a 50 50 proposition so yeah i could easily see this series coming back at 2-2 but even then the warriors would be big time favorites the first half 65 to 50 for the blazers and yeah they were absolutely on fire lillard and mccollum were six of nine from three in the first half and lillard was actually shut out in the first quarter although he passed the ball well and then he hit a a couple of absolute bombs down the end of the second and and McCollum was on on fire for a while it was reminiscent of his the huge first half that he had in game one of the series between these two teams in 2017 but then uh, he really fizzled down the end as well finishing nine out of 23 I thought he had some really really good looks at the end as we'll get to that really could have changed this game quite a bit I mean if you want to look at some of the other things that really hurt them i think terry stotts did the right thing in just going with more offense they played with seth curry at the three for large portions 
of this game and, and for a lot of the time that was their most effective group until uh, that fateful last four minutes or so and getting that extra shooter on the floor the Warriors had a lot of problems stopping this team Portland looked much better against the traps Stotts went to Myers Leonard who brings a pick and pop element Leonard is also their best passer at the big position that's something that he was lauded for early in his career and it's kind of gotten lost as he's been this overpaid guy who's been kind of a whipping boy and defensively that's uh well earned but he made some really nice passes in this game and they strung those traps out and made it so it was just so difficult for the guard initially defending the guy with the ball to get back to his man and then by that time it was such a great distance for the bait to get back to his man that they really were opening huge gashes in the warriors defense it was excellent execution they they made adjustments i thought on both ends that worked the pick and roll was another of those defensively where they did bring the bigs up higher and his canter just played less which he actually was plus four in his 19 minutes i did the one thing they didn't do was try to play him when Steph was off the floor i thought that again they missed opportunities there they did it for a couple of minutes in the first half but it seemed like that was pretty haphazard not intentional uh what else stood out to you about just the meat of this game here before we talk about the end the theory for why teams do not go small especially in the perimeter more often than they do i mean you could think about an easy example of this is rick carlisle playing three small guys often you know like three small guards on his second unit the energizer bunny unit is that they can be exploited defensively and in this state the Warriors don't really have great personnel to do so they you know whether we're talking about the mixed lineups I mean Ethan Sherwood Strauss has called it the whimsy lineup where it very well might be that the Warriors best option is Sean Livingston post-ups you know like Clay can do some stuff in isolation and and maybe you could set do more with high screen rolls but even when it's you know Iguodala when it's the the starters or the closers in this case Iguodala is not going to do a lot to attack those lineups Steph had a lot of trouble with his brother you know Seth had yeah. four steals on him in this game. Yeah, and, and, and had another one too that he knocked away that just barely got out of bounds as well. Right, and, and so I, I think that Portland, sort of similar to something that happened at moments in the Nuggets series, realizing that it's not even necessarily trading offense for defense, it's that you're trading offense and not losing that much defensively. Yeah, so, because they, they don't have defense. Right, <laughs> so, exactly. So you might as well just get more offense on the floor. I think that's the, really the right strategy. It is, so I, I think that's important, and that's one when I was saying the things that I carry over. To me, that's the one of the two most important ones. The other one is Damian Lillard. It looked like he adjusted to me. So last game, it was striking. Just I mean, how big the jump from Denver's defense to Golden State's defense was. You could see the impact on a lot of the different Blazers. Lillard included among them, and he. It looked like he was getting better at taking that beat, not getting rushed, making the right pass, not turning the ball over, and Lillard. You know, he didn't take a ton of shots. He had 16 overall, only took four two-pointers, which I thought was a little bit interesting. But 10 assists, only two turnovers. The offense flowed pretty well. And there will be nights, and you could argue that this was one of them, where a little bit more from him would have been useful. But the support players were generally getting open looks. Like the passes he was making were producing good shots. Those shots went in at a reasonable rate. So I thought that they figured out a lot, especially in that first half, of how to attack without getting sped up. And... 
Again, that I think will carry over. Another underrated part of this game is Zach Collins getting so many fouls so quickly because if Stotts is going to reduce Ennis Canner's workload, which I fully support, I think that Canner, this is a terrible series for him, in, especially if he has to be out there for minutes that Stephen Curry plays. Myers Leonard is a reasonable option. Myers Leonard had a nice game overall. Zach Collins is probably a better overall option, but if you commit to five fouls in eight minutes, well, you can't really do a whole lot more, more with him than that. So yeah, he was he was trying to make those same verticality plays that he was making in the Denver series but he was just a beat late getting over there a lot of the time so he would he would jump but still be moving it and was correctly called for fouls right and so you can't really do much with that if it's if if he's having that sort of a game and you can't like oh he he's gonna close game well if you commit a, a foul every every two minutes can't really stay on the floor so good that Myers Leonard stepped up I thought that was important and then the other big adjustment before the closing stretch of the game was Andrew Bogut started the game, played three minutes and 36 seconds, and then never returned. They went to Looney in kind of his normal role, Bell in his normal role in the first half, and then in the second half, Looney started in Bogut's place, then for reasons that will baffle me for ages <laughs> yeah. to come. Yeah. Kerr, 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 they, they finished off a 13-0 run to get back within three, and then Kerr goes to his closer, Damian Jones. It was da- it's Jones, unreal. Damian Jones, who had not played since December, other than mop-up duty in game one after a torn pectoral muscle, comes in after, you know, in the third quarter after they've gone on this run and botches a defensive rotation. Also, there was a play where Draymond just like threw him one of the worst passes of the night. Yeah, ended up yeah, becoming I, the turn of our, That wasn't Damian Jones' fault. I, I mean, like, I don't, like, I really just don't know what the hell Kerr was thinking. I mean, I mean, well, number one, his first problem is just that, like, the Warriors have this idea that J- Damian Jones was actually good at one point and he, he was, he was for good, like oh he healthy. was good for like a week but not like a month which some people it appears in the coaching staff believe he yeah, had and and so he just yeah i was going completely insane and thank yes, god he were. took him out but <laughs> well and and so jones one of many big men where the theory of him and the practice are very very different things you know he's a pretty big dude and he has long arms and it is you could envision him being a reliable rim protector he is not he get teams aren't intimidated by him he generally reacts a beat late and so yeah i mean it was it wasn't a huge deal the the game was even during the two minutes he played but it was just such a bizarre process thing because not only was looney playing well and looney ended up playing a ton of minutes in the second half but jordan bell was playing well and so they didn't need a spark they didn't need somebody else to come in and yet for some reason damian jones came in yeah by the way jordan bell is good who who would have thought that yeah but it was definitely it just it, it was shades of like Verizhou I mean it was beyond Verizhou in 2016 even uh but anyway it, th- that's really ancillary but it was one of the most inexplicable coaching decisions that i can remember bringing a guy in for his first meaningful action in six months into the middle of that type of an atmosphere was just was absolutely insane um few other notes here the blazers in addition to bringing their bigs up higher they also did something else that we talked about them potentially doing which is trying to keep the ball out of the middle of the floor like it, which makes it uh, they're forcing curry towards the baseline more which just makes it a little bit more difficult especially if he kind of starts more towards the sideline if he you can't get middle off of that then it's harder to get a, a three up now curry was devastating on two pointers seven of eight uh, on two pointers and then also 11 of 11 at the foul line uh, although two of those were three shot fouls uh golden state's run in the third to get 
back into it they trailed by 16 after two moharkless free throws and they scored 13 points in five possessions it was and stats to his credit called a timeout after the first two of those those plays it started off where actually with a miss alf uh Cantor outlets the ball to Al Farouk Aminu for some reason and not only that he throws it right into the arms of Andre Iguodala who is waiting there for Aminu and Aminu lost it out of bounds and then they get a three off of that baseline out of bounds from Curry there are two Thompson threes in that run and a couple of layups as well for Portland you really see just how difficult it is for them defensively when Steph has 37 Clay has 24 but then basically Draymond Green Jordan Bell and Kevon Looney who are scoring essentially all of their points on layups and almost all of them either on the offensive glass where when Portland would get their big higher out on the floor you know Seth Curry as your three man has no chance of getting a rebound over Kevon Looney so to get 41 combined points from Draymond Jordan Bell and Kevon Looney almost all of those just due to shooting action or fast breaks or when I say shooting action like guys coming off the screens and then getting double teamed and passing it to the guy rolling to the rim uh again you see like how difficult it was for Portland I mean they gave up a 118 offensive rating in this game despite nine of 29 three-point shooting from the Warriors so uh again they're just they're not gonna be able to stop Golden State no matter what they do so I I really liked Sot's adjustments more to go with offense and you know it was they also forced 16 turnovers which probably won't happen again and a lot of that was the was Seth on Steph crime (laughs) that we referred to earlier but Portland is a very low turnover over team overall and so a lot of those turnovers were just kind of bad unforced turnovers from the Warriors which they tend to do more at home Marcus Thompson had a pretty good piece on how they have more turnovers at home because the theory being that they're kind of trying to do the play free make the great play excite the crowd so the Blazers played good defense with their hands but a lot of that was the Warriors just making really bad decisions so hard to see that the Blazers can count on getting those that level of turnovers again given what their normal uh turnover forcing looks like although they may get a few more now because they're being more aggressive defensively instead of just leaving the big back that does put a little more pressure on it may force a few more turnovers but 16 would be a lot if we see that going forward also if ennis canner is playing a smaller role we'll see what happens on the offensive glass they portland ended up getting 21 percent of their misses in this game the warriors got 31 percent yeah and, and yeah especially in that in that third quarter they yes just could not get a defensive rebound yeah that, that was really crushing and so we just have to see how all that stuff plays out and Portland went to some very different lineups that have that have weaknesses and strengths I mean the strengths are really important here another important stretch that wasn't in this in the stretch run this might be another one of those Warriors coaching staff thinks a guy is better than he is they had Alfonso McKinney guarding Damian Lillard Alfonso McKinney cannot guard Damian Lillard and then they it, it exacerbated a great move by Terry Stotts to use Evan Turner a lot as the screener and so that made it Jarebko and McKinney Kinney defending Lillard on a screen on a on a high screen and yeah he was just getting clean looks every single time yeah McKinney uh Lillard went at him four times while he was being guarded he hit two threes and got fouled twice on drives uh, on those four plays so that was uh that was really uh, pretty bad and especially when CJ I think was out during that period and you've got Sean Livingston on the floor like why wouldn't you go with Sean Livingston instead of McKinney Livingston is a much much better defender than McKinney 
McKinney is. McKinney really struggles in individual defense. Jerebko did have three offensive rebounds, though, which is, you know, he does kind of play hard and makes it make some effort plays. And uh, so he, he provides that element. And, you know, again, with how limited some of the Blazers are, uh, it's harder to play Jerebko when the Blazers are going with their all offense group. A um, couple other notes here. Actually, we'll get to those in a second. Uh, let me tell you first that there's no good excuse for not buckling your seatbelt, especially with the chime that's on most new cars that tell you when you do not have your seatbelt on but i'm not going very far or i'm in a rush or it's uncomfortable or i just forget and there's just no good excuse for not buckling up especially if you have kids really important for them to learn those habits by watching you in 2017 more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes modern cars are really really safe if you wear your seatbelt. but all of those safe all that safety equipment the airbags the side airbags all of that only works if you actually have your seatbelt on 51 percent of the people who were killed in motor vehicle crashes were killed while not wearing seatbelts, and i would imagine that the majority of people wear their seatbelts. so that just shows you how much higher the injury and death rate is if you're not wearing your seatbelt. if you do get in a crash and even when you're in the back seat you still need to buckle up uh, as well if you're in taxis if you're in ride sharing services always better to wear your seatbelt. it's really not difficult and if you do it every time it'll become part of your routine and you won't even remember that you have it on after a while in 2017 alone seatbelt saved nearly 15,000 lives do the smart thing and buckle up every trip day or night click it or ticket so a few other notes here before we, we get into the, the end of this game which i thought was pretty fascinating feldman had this stat at halftime the blazers were 15 and 0 all time when leading by 15 or more at halftime in the playoffs the warriors were 1 and 21 all time when trailing by 15 or more at halftime in the playoffs that one game being the 2017 game one against the spurs where Kawhi got hurt although it should be noted that the Warriors had started to come back they probably don't win it because that game was close to the end anyway if Kawhi doesn't get hurt but nonetheless Stott still it's hard to know what the thinking is with certain of his rotational decisions I think with Leonard probably the idea was between him Cantor and Collins he's the best able to make a play if you throw it to him he can either just shoot that three or he's a really good passer I guess that was the thought I think he's he might even be worse defensively than Cantor though which which is saying something Thing. maybe he's not but neither he nor Cantor has any kind of a chance defensively um the Blazers did much better in the minutes that Steph Curry was out of the game where they really got beat in game one another reason that I would try to get Cantor going at the start of this second and fourth quarters is I think he could really hurt Jordan Bell who really only weighs about 225 on the offensive glass and Kerr has indicated that that's really who he's he's going to be going with at that period of the time or that period of the game another interesting one was Evan Turner is now like in the closing lineup it seems like I don't think and again you know there are no good answers at that four position for Portland a two-way player at the three or the four would be so valuable for them going forward here well and what's crazy about that I was thinking during this game about how desperately they need that is that sure it's entirely possible Anthony Simons Scal Gary Trent were reasonable uses of those picks like you know in in the abstract but not even really taking rolls of the dice other 
than Jake Lehman a couple of years ago with those positions is is in some ways even more egregious because they don't really have any other options there. Yeah, and there have been moments when Aminu and Harkless have shot it better, and those guys at least have some kind of help ability, which, which as we'll get to down the end, I think it's a good microcosm of what some of their struggles are. See if I have any other notes here. Well, one one other one that I want to mention is yeah. we've seen through two games, and I think this might have been true in Game Six of the Rocket series. I can't remember that one for sure. Clay Thompson has been very aggressive at the beginning of games, looking for shots. It's not a surprise that he's doing so in the beginning of the second and fourth because he's really the only offensively like truly capable guy on the floor. It's this lineup with Quinn Cook, Sean Livingston, Jarebko, and Jordan Bell. But in the beginning of the first quarter, I think in this game it was it was less forced shots. It was more in the flow of it. But Thompson, it is an, a, a pretty easy calibrator for him unless he's already hot that his good shot his best shots will go in and then his worst ones just generally do not and so yeah maybe you don't force those as much when Steph Curry's on the floor but I'm sure the mentality thing is Kevin Durant's not here somebody needs to take these shots I'll take these shots yeah he definitely it's really I think the tough twos that hurt his efficiency a lot the Blazers went with Harkless at center when they gave after they gave up that 13-0 run but they still really were going more with like a, a blitzing strategy it looked like rather than just trying to switch everything and when they have been switching everything they did switch it seemed like one through four off the ball but on ball and on plays with their five man they did not switch it looked like the the plan was to blitz a little bit more but they just don't have an amazing communication uh, on this team that they're not really that practiced doing that stuff and even compared to a team like denver which in theory moves the ball a lot uh, the warriors are just on another level of screening exploiting getting inside position leading guys to the basket there's more spacing on the floor so the help can't get there sooner soon enough or they need smaller guys on the floor who can't provide as much as help defenders i thought another key moment in the game which when it looked like portland might be able to take control was draymond getting his fourth foul and having to go out and then his fifth foul as well where he actually stayed in the game and was able to play aggressively not pick up that fifth foul well a little bit more on that on that on that fifth foul so he he picks up his fourth stays in for a couple minutes and then Kerr pulls him with with time remaining he comes back in and commits his fifth foul 18 seconds later and then plays the rest of the game with five fouls yeah I think sometimes Draymond almost the same way as when he gets one technical he'll sometimes get even more aggressive with the refs knowing they don't want to throw him out I think sometimes when he has five fouls he could be more aggressive because he knows it's going to take an egregious foul for him to get fouled out in theory um you know and he said yeah you know if I'm not going to be aggressive there's no point in even being out there which i i happen to agree with uh and he made some huge plays down the end let's talk about that end of the game here the blazers had only three points in the last 346 that was off a scramble play seth curry after lillard tried to throw up a shot after he had fouled steph for three free throws on the other end he tried to draw draymond six foul it was a great no call he tried to jump sideways into him we could see it from where we're sitting that it was the the kevin love where it's supposed to be a no call uh and then the, the ball just bounced out and i think cj got the rebound and threw it right to seth curry that was the blazers last bucket of the game put it up 111 100 with under two minutes to go but the blazers got a number of other really good looks uh and i thought that they really can this is part of 
them carving up that Warriors coverage all night where they weren't switching Myers Leonard made a couple of great passes one of them he's right under the basket there's two guys running at him and he made instantly made the right read to CJ on the opposite wing CJ had just a warm-up jump shot that he just couldn't have made and that actually would have that was pretty early in this stretch Blazers were up five at that point they would could have gotten up eight with three minutes left and probably that would have been the game and instead the Warriors came right back and, and cut into that five-point lead the Blazers help defense particularly Dave Lillard was really bad uh, on some of those Steph Draymond pick and rolls at the end uh, that led to Looney getting it a couple of dunks now Draymond uh, made some great passes there to be sure uh but so he had a couple of assists two looney on alley-oops and then he had one layup himself and the blazers just didn't do it a good enough job of rotating off of andre guadala in those situations basically the last play where the warriors are up one and Draymond got a layup seth curry was basically communicating to dame all right i'm gonna i'm gonna sink down inside of looney you step up to help on Draymond. and lillard actually made a couple of plays helping at the rim unsuccessfully on curry earlier in the game but he just never moved he was so i think mentally exhausted by that time when they gave up the offensive rebound and then uh Steph moved a, off a screen Lillard just wasn't in a stance he wasn't ready at that point that's where he ended up following him with a, a little bit of a shove in the back of Andre Guadala to shove him into Steph's legs but that you know Steph got open because Lillard wasn't ready another play where Iguodala got a backdoor dunk with Steph flying off a screen that was supposed to be Lillard switching on to Iguodala he didn't do it he did the my bad afterwards so he really had a very bad defensive last three or four minutes off the ball he did and it was also a reminder of how hard it can be to defend those four on three actions the rockets did a really good job for long stretches of the second round but there were times where it's evan turner defending draymond green driving to the basket with with kavan oh Lee that was there. atrocious yeah van gundy killed him for that at, uh when i rewatched it and rightfully so i mean to just give up a right hand straight line drive when all you're out there to do is defend it was just atrocious right Right. And Evan Turner, one of my, I, I, I have many beefs with, with Evan Turner, but him being on the floor. <laughs> no, no, you, you, that, that's not, you don't have anything against him, like, personally. No, 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 no. Just with, but my, my thing with Turner yeah. on this team is he can provide value, but that value dissipates to almost nothing when Willard and CJ are on the floor because you yeah. don't want the ball in his hands. And when the ball is not in Evan Turner's hands, yeah. he, he makes life harder and he's not, you know. He, see, see, I think they do want it in his hands. I think like that was right. part of the thought is that he can make plays that Harkless and Amino aren't going to. As it turned out, he tried to make a couple plays and it just didn't work like that alley oop to Leonard. I mean, that was a pretty decent pass and Draymond it was a little made high. an amazing play. Yeah, yeah. We will, well, so, I mean, any lower and Draymond actually deflects it. So. That's true. And I'm sh- and there was definitely contact on that play. To me, I, I thought it was borderline. I would have leaned towards not calling it. I think due to, for me, the contact wasn't the reason the play was not finished. So that's why I lean towards it not being a foul, but reasonable minds could absolutely differ. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when you're going for the ball, it's same as thing as in the NFL, right? If you turn your head back and you're going for the ball, you can get away with it. I mean, I, I thought there was contact. Yes. And that contact caused Myers Leonard to miss the alley oop. But was that contact illegal? Eh, maybe, maybe not. You know, I mean, and Draymond, Andre Guadalla, as we'll get to, kind of can get away with that stuff a little bit. The other play that Draymond made that was ridiculous, though, the Warriors finally, in the last two minutes, go to just start switching everything. And Draymond, you know, McCollum got a decent look on him, but uh, missed the three. 
Then McCollum went after Looney, got by him. Draymond came to help. McCollum went for the floater. Draymond contests that, forces a miss, and then gets back for the rebound. Skies over Myers Leonard, who is in perfect position for it, and tips it to safety. I thought the Blazers, when it became clear that they were switching, the matchup I really liked the most for them is Steph guarding CJ. I think CJ can use his size, get to spots, rise up over Steph at the end of the game. Uh, So that's what I would have tried to do. I thought that they really kind of just took it a little too easy about getting the right matchup and just all right well if this is who's in front of me and they're switching i'm just gonna go after it i mean looney was is a decent bet well and there was there was one play where they tried to run a double screen to get steph on damian lillard but what they did what the warriors did is they just had steph drop back and had the other two guys contest the action and it worked out fine They, they, they knew that it wasn't going to create a threat situation that they couldn't mitigate and so they so portland doesn't have a sophisticated of mechanisms like houston does i mean houston can run whole facets of their offense to get whoever the other team's worst defender is on james harden typically sometimes chris ball and the blazers just don't have all that and also more in some ways more importantly they don't have the threats that you have to respect to draw people into those actions so the last play down three the warriors go into it with a, a foul to give still blazers advanced ball is 12 seconds left after that draymond layup warriors gave the foul thompson looked like he didn't want to foul with 10 seconds left golden state did not then foul to put someone on the line even with portland out of timeouts to prevent the tying three-pointer but as it turned out that tying three-pointer never got up to begin with iguodala perfectly clean strip on lillard some were saying that iguodala was fouling lillard before then i thought there was pretty much equal contact either way now how is that usually called because lillard he tried to go for the dreaded forearm push off and iguodala basically like wrapped his arm up and wouldn't let him push off so maybe at that point if lillard tries to go up for the shot he could draw the foul but he got also got the ball tipped away at that point and got it back and then iguodala knew exactly where he had to bring the ball up and got the strip on him and uh was very pleased with himself jogging to the locker room but you know we've seen iguodala with that strip move many a time game six against okc had a big strip on lebron i think 2017 game three in the in the finals to prevent a a tying three-pointer at that point after kd hit that big three anything else on this one you want to talk a little bit about what's going to happen going forward here oh we can we can go on what on moving forward and so for me i think stott's streamlining clarifying his rotation based on the idea that they need to go offense over defense because they're not having much defense anyway and that involves you know i mean seth curry and seth curry is their best defender on Seth. I, i agree with you and so and he played 29 minutes so i'm not expecting him to play like 40 or anything crazy like that but he can play more and the the three-headed monster i think last time i checked it yeah okay so the the stats are in for this series and again small sample size theater 15 minutes seth dame cj 121 offensive rating yeah and that's another big part of why portland was much more successful attacking it helped that like they actually hit some three-pointers uh but you know attacking that blitzing strategy by the warriors because they have Seth Curry there and they didn't want to leave him or when they did Seth was four of seven from downtown and good for him rebounding from just a nightmare game one I mean he was awful uh had some really bad turnovers missed some open shots got taken advantage of defensively a a couple of times so other than the things we've already said I'm not sure necessarily what else they could do I I might consider going with Harkless rather than 
Turner in the closing group. Better finishing around the rim, more of an athletic presence defensively. Uh, another thing I didn't understand was a lot of the time it seemed like they had Myers Leonard guarding Draymond Green instead of Kevon Looney, which I didn't really get. Like, why wouldn't you just? Yeah, you switch? you know who they're setting the screen with. You would yeah. rather if if what they're going to do is attack Myers Leonard. Well, you'd rather have Kevon Looney in that action anyway. No, ab- absolutely. So uh, although Looney, I think has improved his screen turn as well. And sure. Curry, Looney had just, five screen assists in this game. Yeah, yeah. And Curry is just doesn't get enough credit for just how good of a pick and roll operator he is, as far as just like setting up the screen uh, using his ball handling. And I mean, there's one play where he cross, you know, that right to, right to left crossover, and then the left to right behind the back that he does all the time. He did that, but to set a guy up on a screen, so he does the behind the back right as Looney is coming up for the screen. I mean, it, it's just really, really fantastic and Portland again uh, other than Seth who really had him timed out I guess because he's his brother and he also has pretty good hands he's a, a good steals guy but generally Portland just doesn't have the guys who are long enough could put pressure on Curry really make him uncomfortable on the ball but I would like to see more switching with that you, you just you have to have fix it if you're Portland especially if you're going with these three guards to fix it so you have at least one big man on the back line just to get a rebound if not also to provide some amount of help and they got to do a better job of sinking in and making Andre Iguodala shoot threes. Iguodala was 0 for 3 from 3 in this game. And I'm sure Houston fans were wondering where the hell that was in game six. All right, we've got time for a little bit of news here. Overall league news. This is good for us and hopefully good for you guys as well. The start of free agency now will occur at 6 p.m. Eastern rather than midnight Eastern on July 1st. It'll now be 6 p.m. Eastern on June 30th. So that'll make this much more of a prime time thing. We usually get some signings in those first two, three hours. Now there'll be more time that night for more signings to happen. So it should be a a bigger event for everyone and will be a a lot more fun for us. Well, except that my insomnia is now not a competitive advantage anymore. So for selfish reasons, I'm a little bitter. There's been some discussion that Zion could, if he gets drafted by New Orleans, return to school, but that's very unlikely to happen. I mean, the only way he could probably do that would be to completely withdraw from the draft entirely, because if he gets drafted by New Orleans, if you're an early entry, then they have his rights until the draft after his college class would have graduated. So all the way until 2023. Now, I've wondered if he truly doesn't want to play in New Orleans, why more players don't just get drafted by a team especially someone with the leverage that he has if he gets drafted by a team and just say no i'm not going to play there uh and try to force them to train the last person to do that really was steve francis and we've seen you know lucas supposedly didn't want to play in sacramento blah blah and we've other players will try to manipulate things by not sending their medical reports we haven't seen anyone actually just be like hey i'm not playing for you ejon leon there was a thought maybe that he would do that when he was drafted by milwaukee in 2007 but he just wasn't a good enough player with enough leverage to pull that off i don't think and you know maybe there's something behind the scenes that we don't know about that prevents players from doing that but i i if i were him i would try it if if that if i didn't want to be in new orleans um in memphis john morant will be the likely pick for memphis john gavoni reporting that they are lasered in on uh ja at number two which of course it makes it much more likely that mike conley will be moved this offseason and woge reporting that denver has now granted permission for tim Conley, president of basketball operations in denver to speak with the washington wizards uh, we've talked previously uh, about how this could go down possibly fred katz has had some good reporting 
bearing on this and Conley currently makes around two million dollars according to cats and that's pretty low money for a president of basketball operations and Woj even said in his article implying that Denver like wouldn't match what Washington is was going to be willing to pay and you know, Denver out of the goodness of their hearts are giving Washington permission to talk to him because uh, this he's from the area and supposedly there are some family concerns about why you would want to move back and so you know maybe that's what it is maybe this is just Denver PR spin for when he gets a more lucrative offer that they don't feel like paying for and let him go and we've already heard the how much confidence they have in our turners uh Karnishavis, who you know has been no reason to think that he isn't competent but also when you have a guy who's done a very good job you might want to pay up to keep him especially since this is now could be the second guy that they would lose uh after Masai, uh, who also did a very nice job in denver so it's certainly reading the tea leaves here especially that washington waited this long they've had a few interviews but haven't moved it on them it very much seems like this is going to result in tim Conley leaving to go to washington yeah and and katz is reporting that a meeting could happen as soon as friday so that's that's a really quick timeline here and washington has both of these teams but washington in particular has some big decisions to make this summer from their draft pick to figuring out what the hell is going on with bradley beal so having somebody in place with the authority to make those decisions is exceedingly important the other thing too is it doesn't seem to me in Tim Conley's NO to make a proactive trade. Now, what Woj did report is that presumably a contract, I, I don't know if he reported this or it's just his opinion, but it makes perfect sense to me, that a contract offer from Washington would have to be both lucrative and long given the, he referred to them as a fledgling franchise. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but they definitely have a, a number of issues going forward here. And so we'll get to their offseason preview probably at some point in the next couple of weeks, but I th- after we find out who their GM is going to be, I think that'll be informative to know before we start speculating. So maybe that would empower him to move on from Beal. Or maybe in these discussions, although remember Katz reported that Connolly doesn't want to have to interview. So it sounds like these discussions are basically going to be a meeting and here's how much we're going to pay you and do you want to do it or not type of thing. Like that, they are presumably at this meeting, he will be offered the job. So whether that meeting would include hey what do you think we should do with bradley beal or it'll just have carte blanche do that or if he could give an answer on that which would be not what ted leonsis wants to hear on that i i don't know but it's uh again it seems like it conley is not gonna be long for denver i i hope that i'm wrong because i think he's done a great job there and i would like to see i mean the reason that we are critical of the nuggets when they have cheaped out is because they have a pretty good franchise and they have pretty good talent and we like to see teams maximize what they're able to do and so whether it was the cost saving moves to uh save themselves from the dreaded repeater tax five years from now or cheaping out on executives or not having a g-league team this isn't like oh we hate denver looking for reasons to criticize them it's this team could be better if they spent more money and that's why that's where the criticism comes from uh, wanting to see teams that maximize what they have at their disposal all right anything else to talk about before we go here the weekend schedule i guess we should mention tentative plan right now unless tomorrow night's game between milwaukee and toronto is a classic we'll probably record again saturday night to uh on uh game two in the east and game three in the west maybe uh talk off season or or something too for a, a team or so um but what about on your end danny still working on off season previews for the athletic knicks and then Suns are the next two i i don't know the publication schedule yet depends a little bit on editorial staff which has a lot going on at the moment so those are going on you can also still 
listen to the podcast they did for Real Jam Radio with Sam Vecini, which was really fun going through the lottery results and everything else. We, t- we talked about the Combine and, and the other events in Chicago. So you can check that out as well. And I have a whole bunch of other pieces in the works on various things. One of the fun parts about this year is I get inspired by the questions that people ask in the comments on my pieces. And so then it's like, oh, I should write about this. Or being a part of The Athletic, I get a writer saying, hey, what's the deal with this? And then I'm working on, so I'm working on like sign-in trades and partial guarantees and a whole bunch of different things on that. So those will start coming out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and you guys can probably tell my voice is not 100% still, but I'm going to give the NBA cast a go for tomorrow night. So hopefully you can join us for that. Talk to you all then.